Welcome, Muscle Intelligence Q&A podcast, live in every show. <laughs> What's wrong with, no, keep it rolling, well, keep it rolling, keep it rolling. <laughs> All right, welcome everybody. <laughs> can you try that one more time, for the love of God? Welcome. I can't, there's no way I can say welcome without sounding corny. Anyway. Don't say welcome. Say muscle something Muscle Intelligence Q&A. <laughs> You're reading from a cue live, card. <laughs> live. <laughs> From MI40 Holy Gym in Tampa. And um, can I just can I just say So that? I just want to let you guys know I'm now auditioning for a new co-host. <laughs> no, no, he's not. You'll have to get through me first, and I've been working out a lot. So But also I gotta say, I've really been tearing the ass out of this whole life and health optimization thing since I've been here. And again, you know, I just I appreciate being in this space so much for the people and the atmosphere and the vibe, but also there is so much stuff here. Like I've been biocharging. I've been doing the new fit thing. Did you do the Nano V yet? No, what's that I one? I love the Nano V. It's the one that's beside the biocharger. Is that the breathing? Mm-hmm. I'm a massive, massive fan of that. Nano V is a structured water vapor machine. Yeah. And I, I tried it at the bio, it, the bulletproof lab thing. Man, so my biggest benefit, I see an immediate energy benefit, but I also see an immediate post-workout recovery benefit. And it's water vapor. So it's not in any way you know, going to cause, uh, so these other biohacking modalities, I'm a little bit skeptical of, right? I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm like, you're absolutely full of shit until I, I see there's, you know, proven benefit without negative side effects. So I get things sent to me all the time and I leave them in a room in a closet and I don't touch them until I actually see some substantial benefit. And the Nano V is something that I was sold on right away. And we were planning on talking about this, but Huge fan. So do you use it after working out? As often as I can. I'll usually bring it to my office if I'm recording a podcast. And people have probably seen me on podcast before having this random white tube, you know, emitting water. I like it. And we put it in there because I think there's a useful synergy there between the biocharger and the nano V, right? So your structured water is, you know, this give everybody the quick synopsis of what it is. It's also called exclusion zone. So it's this layer of water that exists around all cells that excludes the protons. So it's just positively charged ions. Mm-hmm. And so you have these negatively charged electrons that surround the cell and it allows the cell to maintain its negative charge. So a cell, a healthy cell has a high degree of negative charge. And I think it's like hundred negative 120 millivolts or something like that. And the less negative charge a cell has, the less it's able to transmit signals, the less to Ultimately, the less optimally the cell functions. So you can maintain this negative 120 millivolts. You have a healthier functioning body, healthy functioning nervous system, and the cell is able to exchange the electrolytes, et cetera, with the environment. So structured water is directly replenishing this negative charge. It's fascinating. So I did a podcast with Gerald Pollack on it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm not an expert by any stretch, but I immediately see a benefit in decreased workout soreness, decreased um, like fatigue after workouts. It's awesome. So yeah, no affiliation with the company whatsoever. I know them, but no kickbacks. So check it out. Another cheaper way to do that, because I had a chat with Dr. Joseph Mercola, and I know you did too. Grounding, but especially like walking along the surf on the beach, because where the waves are breaking, there's like just... All kinds yeah. of negative ions. Sunshine does it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like direct sunshine will charge up your body. Grounding will charge up your body. I got to make sure I get my fill of that, the sun and the oh, water before I, I leave. I was going to make fun of you this morning for walking in the treadmill. I was waiting for my turn to use the new fit thing. But yeah, obviously walking outside is a billion times better. Yeah. So I'll, I'll show you my walk, the place that I typically would walk and go like meditate in the water in the morning. I'll show you that. And nothing like that. beats it. I'll do like a three, four mile walk and then at the end of it, or maybe in the midway, throw my feet in the water, sitting on a rock, 
and meditate for half an hour while the sun rose. Like I had it timed almost every day where I could literally have the sunrise in my face while I was meditating. It was the best thing in the world. And I'll show you where that is. We can actually work there. We can go to the picket bench. We can go sit there and work. Sweet. Okay. Before we get into too many questions, we got to do the healthy habit of the week. And can you at least I... try the intro again? No, we're way past that, dude. We're way past it. People love this banter. They love like Ben making fun of me and me yeah. kind of just being cool with it because... I know that you think I have great delts, so like I'm not, you know, everything's fine. Yeah, okay. Question. This is what I would like you to talk about for a healthy habit because I have the liberty of being here and asking you. And it's kind of at the top of my mind right now because we just finished this muscle camp and I'm just feeling really good about the process. But you also as a teacher and one of your 44 principles living an optimal life is about being a leader and doing that by leading by example. I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit more because you are in this position where you're a leader in this industry, but you're doing it in kind of an atypical way, maybe. So talk a little bit about how you feel about what it's like to be a leader. Well, I think my children have been my greatest teacher in life because you realize that they hear nothing of what you say and see everything of what you do. And that statement resonates with me when it comes to leaders. And you know, many leaders lead with fear by eliciting fear, and that certainly doesn't work. And so the greatest book I've read on leadership so far, and there's probably endless ones that I haven't read, but the greatest book I've read on leadership so far was called Billion Dollar Coach, which was by um, Eric Schwartz, the guy who started, well, the guy started Google, I guess. And he talks about his coach and the guy's name is escaping me right now. So that guy who the book is written about, I'll remember his name, Bill, maybe. He was a coach to Steve Jobs and Eric Schwartz. And both of those guys attribute their success to him. So he would come into the boardrooms and he would come into the team meetings and he would lead the entire team. So his approach to um, leadership was very unique because he was the guy in everyone's life who could say absolutely anything to them, including extreme profanities, calling them any name that he wanted. And these people would actually take it and respond positively. I'm not saying that's the type of leader I am, but the reason he said he was able to get away with it or the reason that everyone else said he was able to get away with it because it's this type of person who, no matter what he says, they knew he loved them. And that's what everyone says. He, they, he had so much love and sincere care for them that he was able to say literally anything to them. And that's what I aim to do as a leader. It's like, there's a number of facets here, right? It's like, I aim to have people know that I actually care about them so much that I can tell them the things that they really need to hear, even though they don't want to hear it. And then on top of that, living a life of, of harmony, right? Like my actions match my words, integrity. The word integrity, and I've talked about this with you, I think in the past is maybe the most important thing in my life now. And I, I still feel like I'm ascending the mountain. I still don't think I live with absolute integrity with everything in my life. I still think I'd like to get better at many things. But two times in my life, I feel like I've been slapped in the face with that word. I really, really pay attention to myself now, especially with my children. If I say I'm going to do something, I'd follow through. And I hate when I don't. And, you know, even us yesterday had a little something that we did that, you know, we said we weren't going to do and or said we were going to do and we didn't. I hate it. So I always make sure that I'm honest and like, hey, you know, I apologize if something was wrong. But integrity as a leader, I think, is everything because you know, at the end of the day, you know, you could lie all you want, but you guys still have to sleep with yourself. And that's big to me. And so if I have two words that summarize my leadership style, and how people should lead is, you know, if you use the word love or caring, mm -hmm. I use the word love and integrity. And if you do that, as far as setting yourself apart as a human being, you supersede 99.9% .9 of the population because most people are self-centered. 
egocentric out for themselves. And I think even as a personal trainer, when someone walks into your facility or into your business and you say, you know, I'm going to help you or I want to help you. If they feel any ulterior motive or lack of trust or lack of sincerity, they're out, man, they're gone. You know, I always say like, I have zero judgment of anybody. So therefore I'm more concerned about your end result. I don't give a shit what you do. I don't judge anything you do. I just care about helping you achieve a better result. And however I can convey that message and support you. And you know, that being said, my tolerance for complaining, lack of adherence. And most people say they want to change or most people say they want to improve, but they don't. That's fine. So what I've realized is millions now, or maybe thousands of people come into my life. The people that I actually end up helping is very, very small because you have to actually do what needs to be done. There's still the work that needs to be done. And, you know, most people will say, oh, you know, I want you to mentor me or I want you to coach me. Or I'm like, okay, we'll go do this. Well, I don't want to do that. Like, this is the process. And people don't see their weakest link. People don't see their thing holding them back. So learning to exploit that and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. But anyway, so, you know, coming around to this leadership thing, care, don't judge and have integrity. If I'm going to summarize my leadership in three simple terms. I think the caring part is the part that might be the most surprising to people. I think that there's a perception with a lot of people that to be a leader, you have to be, above all of those other things you mentioned, ruthless. Some cases that can help with things. Sometimes being yeah. overly sensitive can be problematic. Sure. But we had this conversation offline yesterday, and I was talking about the female, especially, and I think this applies across the board, but the women in my life that have been leaders or bosses or just sort of authorities in any area and the things that they have are what you just mentioned, but also that the combination of confidence and caring that means that they don't feel like they have to step over other people, put people down to raise themselves up, that it's yeah. constantly a battle for domination, essentially. Yeah. I think that if you're truly sort of confident and and confident in your abilities, but also in why you're doing what you're doing. And usually that's because you care about people and you mm -hmm. want them to be better. That's how you kind of ascend. It's not about who you can step over to get there. One thing that I learned the hard way was have the hard conversations immediately. And still, I'm not an expert at that. I'm certainly not a master of having hard conversations because I have you know, this aversion to confrontation from my youth but learning to have those conversations right away. Because if they don't, they build inside you, right? And then it becomes a bigger issue and they feel it and then it becomes awkward. And as a leader, I'm so aware now, if something's wrong, I've got to have a conversation right away because I don't want to create that awkward silence. I don't want to create that awkward avoidance, which is always there. I know I do it, right? And I'm like, okay, stop doing that. Go have the conversation. And I'm getting much better now having those conversations. Early in my career, I just would avoid it. I'm like, forget it. Don't want to have the conversation. Don't want the stress. Don't want the confrontation. Don't want the emotion. And there's still honestly people who I avoid those conversations with because I don't want to have an emotional confrontation that I'm not going to be emotional about it, but you know, someone else will be. So learning how to tread lightly with those people that you know are going to be emotional or maybe not have them as part of your corporation, sometimes hard to avoid, but there's so many facets there. Like, you know, human dynamics is something that I never thought I would have to study, right? I'm like, oh, I'm going to become an expert in exercise. I'm becoming an expert in business. Awesome. And I can make a bunch of money. But then you realize, guess what? You got to lead people. You got to manage, hopefully not manage, hopefully lead. It's one thing I didn't expect. And honestly, now, like this kind of trilogy of things that I'm studying is literally, I want to become better and better at the body and getting great results. 
I want to become a master of business. And then the thing that you didn't think about is now you got to be a leader. And I actually think I like it. I like the responsibility, but it's also, you know, time management is a huge issue. Like how do you become an expert in all three of these things? Who knows? Work in progress. I'll keep you posted on how that goes. You can keep me posted on how that goes. (laughs) I'll let you know how it's going. I love a little confrontation, not because I like dealing with emotions or anybody else's emotions, but because what you touched on, the thing I hate even more than dealing with complicated emotional interactions is passive aggressive. uh, Worst. I don't know if that's like a Canadian thing because people value that. People like value being passive aggressiveness because it's like you're not being aggressive. You're not confronting people and forcing them into an interaction. So the sarcasm. Oh my God. And just like, hey, do you think maybe you should be doing this instead of just be direct with me? Like, I would rather you be a little bit abrasive, but direct so that I know what I'm getting. Yeah. But our our whole culture doesn't work like that, right? Like you you have to tread on eggshells to be like, oh man, I hurt this person's feelings. This goes back to that anti-fragile thing. It's like, if you can't handle someone directly communicating with you, like that's your problem. That's not the other person's problem. Isn't there a book now called Fuck Your Feelings? I think I should be the author. (laughs) There's there's a lot of books with the word fuck in them these days. Yeah, it's funny. Okay, so what I do like that, I just want to bring it back around. That was one of the 44 principles one of your most popular podcasts, by the way, where you talk about all these principles and that the concept, I think a lot of people want to be leaders in their life and people probably, especially who are listening to your podcast because they're attracted to your leadership style. It just goes back to, again, maybe not trying to force yourself into a leadership role and just living your truth and what you think is best and leading by example. I think that's a really important thing for people to internalize. Yeah, one of the comments I get most, and I'm so grateful for this, and you know, wasn't necessarily what I intended this to be, but everyone says, hey, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for your honesty and your unbiased approach to everything you do. And this attempt, this desire to be really, really healthy, live a really long life and still be a strong man, still be a strong leader. And I think you know, that wasn't kind of what I set out to be, but that's maybe just who I am or who I'm aiming to be. And I'm so grateful for everyone who reaches out and gives us that feedback because that's really what it is, right? Is I don't often define, you know, what my mission is, but it's like, I want to be really healthy, but I also want to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And that means like, if I want to run, if I want to swim, if I want to jump out of an airplane, I want to be healthy enough to do it. I still want to look great. I want to feel great. You know, I have a great sex life. I want to have all these great things. So what does that look like, right? So in healthy from the inside first and then look awesome from the outside second and all those other things fall into place. Mm-hmm. And I think that is ultimately the mission and the message here behind the podcast is, you know, there isn't a lot of people yet, I don't think. Maybe I'm sure there'll be a lot of imitators like there often is. People just clarifying this message around what does it look like to be a healthy, strong male mm-hmm. in this day and age who lives with integrity and actually optimizes every aspect of life. I guess that's probably going to be a not insignificant portion of this mentorship thing that you're working on. That's it. It, Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like, well, like I said, it's it's this idea of, you know, understanding the body and being able to elicit a result for anybody. And I really believe I can do that. There's certainly some things I'm not an expert in, but for the most part, unless you have some massive genetic deficit or, or physical ailment, I can get more or less anyone, whatever result they want, if they're willing to do the work and then it's business. Okay. Well, how do you elicit a result of, growing somebody's business by 50 to 100% in a short amount of time. Well, that's relatively easy too, because that's just looking at the blind spots, right? It's like, that's, you know, I read a lot of business books and it's looking at, okay, what are the, what are the basic foundational principles that people don't apply? It's so much easier than you think. 
when you actually have gone through it. And the final one is like, hey, how do I lead? Because I run into this a lot with my current mentorship clients. It's like, hey, man, I'm having a hard time. I've just scaled my business and now I've got, you know, 12 to 20 employees. And what do I do? Like I'm having this person's fighting with this person. This, I'm like, oh, okay, well, again, it comes back to exactly what we just said is like, have those conversations now and let them know you care. And people usually fight amongst each other and you can't stop that. But what you can stop is them kind of turning back against you because that often happens. First, they'll fight each other. Like, well, F him. He's not getting in the middle of this. He must be the root of the problem and they'll turn on you. And so making sure that everyone knows that, you know, and I say this oftentimes, I'm on your team, right? Like, I want you to succeed at everything. So what can I do to help you get better at this job? What can I help you get better at making more money or whatever, right? You take that approach, and that's the first question I ask, whether it be a client or a mentorship client or someone walks in the gym, how can I help you? That seems to be very welcomed by people, right? People are very, hey, man, like, oh, wow, this person actually cares. And, and because it's sincere, we tend to do pretty well with creating a strong relationship, creating a bond. Speaking of strong men, how was hot yoga this morning? I didn't do it. Oh, you didn't go. No, because my daughter woke up early. Can you take kids to hot no. yoga? Yeah. No, I, no, I would love to. I think they should do so. I think they should do kids yoga classes. But yeah. At least here they don't. My little niece who lives outside of Tampa, they have her after school program has yoga for babies and it's adorable. It's yeah. the cutest thing. Well, for whatever reason, this is yoga for babies, but then between like three and nine, it kind of falls off. Ooh, she's, she's like three. I don't know. I can't I don't find anything. Find yeah, I can't find anything for like my It daughters. is a fantastic idea though, to start so just good. implementing well, that. Even like, even like father, daughter, mother, daughter, mm-hmm. like I would love that. Yeah. And we used to do it. So when she was very young, we used to do it. And it was basically just like, hey, come sit on my lap and we'll sit here and breathe together yeah. and stuff. But yeah, awesome. I mean, even talking about the other day, talking with a fat fueled family about their unschooling process and how they kind of manage their day and what's important and how they lead or inform or encourage the learning processes of their children. And just talking about some of the things that are important for kids to learn, even if they're going into a traditional schooling system. Things like how to eat and how to cook and how to be able to internally sort of calm yourself down. Like these are things that we all as adults, children, we all need to learn and no one learns them and no one teaches them. Like to have a 20 minute yoga session a couple times a week for young kids would be invaluable to have that, to start implementing that stuff young, like your ability to self-regulate, how incredible a skill that must be. Well, I think we talked about that in the past, this concept of internal versus external coping strategies, mm-hmm. right? We're all given external coping strategies from the time we're born. It's like, hey, you're having a hard time. Go sit in front of the TV. Hey, you're having a hard time. Go have this sugar, right? Like, I want the kid to shut up. Go eat the sugar. Yep. No, you're teaching them that as a coping strategy. And it's just a terrible idea. One thing that I'm running into as a parent is teaching them how to solve disputes, so, you know, this person thinks this, this person thinks this, or that's my toy, give me my toy back. And they just start lashing out at each other. And like, so some parenting books you read say, just let them hash it out together so they can learn their strategies themselves. But I'm like, well, if they don't know a strategy, how are they going to figure it out themselves? Like the strategy of children is I'm going to hit punch in the face or I'm going to hit you over the head with this toy. <laughs> or scream good. and cry and try to get you to figure right. it out. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually dealing with that now, and that's really interesting. And both my kids are relatively well-adjusted, but they have their moments of like, he took my toy or she took my toy. And if I had some strategy that I could just break that focus, so I kind of just get in the middle and then distract them a little bit and then have them talk it out. But I don't have a good strategy, but it would be great if I did to you know help them with this emotional control. Because yeah. 
you know, and then they'll take that for the rest of their life and this conflict resolution yeah. you know, thing that dad taught them when they were six. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, not having kids, I feel like I have to tread lightly on this kind of conversation, but I, being somebody who comes from a large family and just being interested in learning in general, I think the thing that I took from that conversation with them, and I know you guys have talked about this in the past too, that was so eye-opening to me was the idea that kids are not they are not a different species. They're just little young human beings, right? And why should we put different rules or ways of learning on children than we do on adults? So one of the big concepts around the way they teach their kids is it's what they're interested in, right? Because you can't force knowledge on anybody. And this is something I think that you embody on the podcast is I'm not going to try to force any kind of behavior change or learning on anybody. If you're not willing to accept it or ready to hear it or interested in hearing it, right. what's the point, right? Like you, you come to the, the lesson when you're ready right. and the same goes for kids. Why would you sit them in a classroom to stare at a wall for four hours and teach them stuff that they have zero interest in? There's many reasons why it's done, right? Sure. One, parents need to go to work. Two, yes, that's they're trying one. to get people to conform. Like we yeah. want our kids to crave acceptance. And that's part of that book that I was telling you about that I have to talk about your erroneous zones is mm-hmm. we're so indoctrinated in this need for constant acceptance. So you go to school and you know you can't do anything outside the lines. You can't possibly get up out of your seat. You're going to get in trouble. So you're just indoctrinated into this world of I have to receive acceptance or I'll be outcast. Yeah. I hate that concept. So when I homeschooled the kids, it was always about discovery. It's like, hey, what do you want to learn today? And here's the cool thing that you realize is the creativity unravels into this beautiful space of them actually giving a shit about math or reading or English, because what they realize is, well, they may want to learn about rocks today, or they want to learn about the stars today, or maybe they'll learn about grass. Well, that evolves into, well, where does that come from? And how did it get here? And mm-hmm. and then what does that mean? And then eventually they're doing this extrapolative learning mm-hmm. and now they're curious and they realize, look, looking at a rock is not just a rock. It could be all this other stuff. And that is creativity. And I think we've talked about this as well. No human will ever lack information ever again. We have access to everything. What they're going to lack is curiosity and the ability to curate all this information. Like what should I actually do? What should I focus on? And can I focus? And how do I like narrow this down to create worldviews, yeah. right? Yeah. I need to be able to look at all this information and realize like, what is the source of this information and where does it fit into my worldview and how does it manipulate or, or influence my worldview? Yeah. And I think that's what people are going to miss is not the ability to accumulate information. Right. Yeah. It's, I think teaching kids how to think critically and teaching kids how to learn is more important than what they're learning. And again, that's the same for adults. Like one of the things they were saying yesterday that kind of blew my mind is like, people are not lifelong learners when they've gone through sort of the traditional school. And I'm not totally bashing the school system. I went through a traditional school system and I turned out, as you said, well, totally well adjusted, which is the best you can hope for, for anybody. But people get out of school and maybe it's high school or college or whatever. And they're like, oh my God, this was awful. Like they forced me into this and I had to learn all this crap I didn't care about and I don't like it. That's not how you encourage lifelong learning. Like if we can come out of that and still want to learn, we're lucky. So we have to establish ways, even if they're going through, again, conventional school system, Systems. We can do this outside of school. We can do it in little bits and pieces, encouraging people to, yeah, follow their interests and their passion and just be interested in learning. Like that's so crucial, I think, for kids. What people and say about school is you're learning how to learn. And I think that's actually not the truth. No, I don't think so. so you're learning how to memorize a textbook that was handed to you. So when you leave school, you have no idea how to acquire knowledge. You're like, what the fuck do I do? 
I'm not sure. I, every time I wanted to learn something, I just was given a textbook and a, and a web page and I went and read it and learned it and passed the test. And I have no idea how to have this extrapolative learning. Like I'm, I'm curious about this one thing, but I need to find out this, 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 and this. I had no idea where to look when I came out of university. I was like, I, I have no idea. Short of me going to a textbook or a course, I really didn't know what the hell to do. So that's one of the reasons why I'm really leaning toward homeschooling my kids again. Like I said, I put them back in school this year for reasons, many reasons, but Next year, I'm rearranging my life to where I can at least homeschool uh, or at least be home with them until you know noon or one every day. So when we homeschooled, it was literally like, if you get two hours of focus time, you exponentially surpass what they're going to learn in a day. Like throughout the year, if we did three days a week, two hours a day, they were exponentially and not just linearly exponentially further ahead than everyone in their class mm-hmm. exponentially because if you give two hours of actual focus time where they're thinking and involved and working and you actually have an idea of how human beings learn so they're getting the visual stimulation the auditory stimulation the tactile stimulation we're getting all of those involved now we're touching all of their abilities to learn like all of their mechanisms of learning every kid is going to learn differently so now they're all getting Every mechanism is going to be touched and all of a sudden they're developing at this exponential rate where they're just consuming and remembering and absorbing and thinking and learning rather than just rote memorization, which is what school is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was awesome and I really enjoyed it. And my life, just my life, which just wasn't at the point where I could give enough time to be the exclusive person providing that school. So mm-hmm. I'm working on getting that set up. Can I add an Ashley rant to the day of this podcast? Yes. Because I have a thought that I feel like you might have some strong opinions on too, and then we can maybe wrap it up. Do you have any questions coming in from people? We have tons of questions. <laughs> How long can we sit here? That's why we do a Q&A every week. But this actually relates to like some of the social media I've been posting around the muscle camp and some of the stuff I've been doing since I've been here. I've been getting a lot of comments and a lot of responses to what I'm doing. People saying, you're so lucky that you get to work out there. You're so lucky that you get to talk to Ben. You're so lucky. Okay. Damn right. You're lucky. (laughs) Okay. And so, yes, that is the knee jerk reaction. But the thing that I wanted to talk about, and this isn't like shitting on the people who said that. And I totally understand what you're saying. And I actually like the term, even it might just be semantics. I like the idea that I'm very fortunate in many ways. I'm fortunate to have been born in Canada in the time on on earth that I was born into. I'm fortunate to have good people around me, all of these things. But I've always bristled at the term lucky because people use lucky as a reason why someone else is successful and they're not. I have bad genetics, right? Exactly. You're lucky that you have nice long muscle bellies. Yeah, thank you. I do actually. But no, I don't like the word lucky at all because people aren't lucky. People find themselves in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. People don't see the work that takes to get to the point where you suddenly look lucky. Like you're super successful on the, you know, Olympia stage. You're just lucky because you have good genetics or you met the right person at the right time or you did whatever. There's no such thing as luck. It's the hard work and the perseverance and the dedication and the being open and willing to taking risks and saying yes to things. I didn't stumble across you on the street and say like, Hey, can we talk on the podcast? And then here I am. That's not how it worked. I work hard in my job and I try hard and I meet people and I network and I'm good at things. Like that's how I get successful. It's not luck. And people say some people get lucky and the harder you work, the more lucky you get. Nobody ever kind of explains what that is. And it's a simple reality. Let's say I want to have the job as a CEO of of a Fortune 500 company. Well, if I walked into that office now, the people interviewing would laugh at me because they're like, well, that guy clearly doesn't have the prerequisites. But if that's my objective, and I know that's where I want to be, well, 
what do I have to do to get there? So what is the, per- the person who's currently there? What do they have? So I'm going to start building my skill set, building my knowledge so that when I walk into that office, the first thing they go is, how can I hire you? Right? I want them asking me. So this idea of creating your own luck is mm-hmm. like, find out the end destination. Well, this is what I want to do. And what is every single possible thing I could do to get there? And leaving no stone unturned and going, well, this is what I'm going to do. So if I want to own a multi-hundred million dollar company, well, what do I have to do to get there? Right. So I have to be a great leader. I have to be, I have to understand business. I have to be great at communicating. I have to be really great at my craft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this idea of creating your own luck and then actually quantifying it, right? Like, what does that look like? Well, I've heard that statement a thousand times, but nobody's ever explained it. Never taken time to think about it. It's really just that. It's like, you know, when someone walks into a job interview, someone wants to work with me. And they come in and they're super prepared and I can see their ability to execute this job is amazing. I hire them in a second. They're doing me a favor by working here, right? Working with you has truly been a pleasure because you're so good. You're going above and beyond. You're doing amazing things. That's amazing to me. If I get 100 Ashley, I'm the happiest guy in the world. No, nobody would be that lucky. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like It's like yeah. people who are proactive, take initiative, getting shit done when they're supposed to. Like That's really not easy to find. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people talking about luck, well, just... Go out and be the type of person who gets you done. And the word that comes to mind is just integrity, right? Yeah. Like if you want to be somewhere, you have absolute integrity to your word and then you'll be successful. And counter to that, the other side of that coin is that it's very hard to cultivate gratitude for something when you think it's all random luck. Yeah. If you think somebody else just randomly got lucky or you think you randomly got lucky and didn't right. actually earn or deserve the thing you got, it's very hard to be grateful for stuff like that, which is why people who maybe win the lottery have a harder time than people who earn their money. Right. So I think anyway, no victim words, no such thing as luck. Earn what you get, put yourself out there. That's how it works. And realize that every single person in the world is going through a hard time at some point. There's, we talked about seasons of life. There's going to be struggles and you smile and go great. Cause that means I must have something I need to get better at. If If something in your life is going poorly, by definition, there's something that you're not good at. Amazing. This is fucking great. How can I get better at this as fast as possible so I can then move on to the next struggle and the next obstacle because that's life. There's something we all suck at. Mm -hmm. And the more voraciously you attack that with energy and vigor, the faster you can overcome it and get to the next one. And the next one's bigger. You go, fuck. The best analogy is when you climb a mountain, right? First time I climbed a mountain, I was like, oh, sweet. There's the summit. I can see it. We're going to get there. You get there, you go, oh shit, that's not the summit. And you see behind it, there's another one that's exponentially bigger. And you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this one. I'll do it. I'm just like one step at a time. And you get to the top of that summit. You're like, oh my God, there's another one. Like, this isn't even the real summit. This is just like one of the foothills. And you're like, fuck, let's go again. You never think about the top. You can turn around and look how far you've come and you take the next step and that's it. And there's certainly a point where you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can do it. But I know I can take the next step. And that's all it is. That's life, man. That's why I love mountain climbing because it's like, this perpetual desire to get to the top that just seems to never, ever, ever come. Yeah. I don't know where the metaphor comes into about once you actually get to the top, coming back down is also even harder, usually. Well, but then, you know I mean? but then you're looking, at, then you're looking at, well, that wasn't that bad. And you're looking at the next one. Well, that one over there is bigger. How do yeah. so that, that's this accomplishment thing. I've got this internal gratitude of like, I did this, this eternal self-worth maybe. Yeah. And you're like, gosh, I achieved this thing. And now I can go do that one. Like, fuck this mountain. I crushed you, mountain. I'm going to go to the next one, right? That's where you're getting this constant reinforcement of achievement. And that's what causes success. It's just this small accumulation of micro achievements in life. And the mountain metaphor is one of my favorites. Yeah. Okay. Let's ask one crowdsourced question because I've been really selfish today just asking questions that I wanted. This one's kind of like a quick one, but it's less about 
the answer I know could be, it depends, but this is more about what you would do right now. So if you want to get super shredded and lean right now, would you go for like a carb cycling, more traditional bodybuilding macros approach, or would you do keto? How much time do I have? Like a traditional sort of bodybuilding prep, say like 12 to 16 weeks. Um, with the objective of having the best possible physique at the end, like I want to be muscular or just lean? I would say the priority is lean it. Like if you lose a little bit of muscle, you sure. sacrifice it for lean, but like you want to maintain your muscle mass as best you can and be yeah. healthy and look good. I'll give a bad answer. Some people are really well suited for keto based on, I believe, a number of factors. There's a genetic predisposition to using fat better as fuel. There's also a genetic predisposition to using carb better as fuel. There's that as a genetic predisposition, which is going to influence your internal state, right? So you have person A, person B, they both use nutrients differently. Then you stack on top of that, there's stress. And if someone is very sympathetic, meaning they're always stressed, they're going to burn through more carbohydrate. So maybe they need it to modulate their stress. So that person would lean that way. Person who's a little more calm, doesn't get stressed, maybe they use fat bear as fuel. So that person would lean that way. The next level is how hard do you train? So if you're someone who trains really, really well, like really, really hard, you're going to go the carbohydrate way. If someone doesn't train really, really hard or doesn't really have the ability to contract muscles really well, you're not an expert, you're not doing the MI40 muscle intelligence stuff, well, then you go to the keto, right? Because you just don't have the ability to get into that high level anaerobic place, right? So that's kind of how I decide. If you come into my world and like, hey, which diet do I do? That's how I decide. Well, if you're just okay at training, we're going to keep carbs a lot lower because you're not producing that much energy. You're not burning through that much energy. If you're really, really good at effort, you need carbohydrates. And like I said, this, then there's the genetic component, then there's the stress component. Like where's your HRV? Hugely high HRV. Let's put you over here in the ketogenic state because you don't really need carbohydrates. Your body's relatively good at modulating stress on its own. If you're really low HRV, you have a huge amount of stress. Your body's not very good at modulating on its own. So let's give you some carbohydrates, which will modulate stress. That's really how I approach it. So you know, for me personally, it depends on the cycle of the year. If I'm under a lot of stress, I add carbs back in. If I'm not, and if I'm not getting a lot of exercise or if it's, it's not very sunny outside, then I'm going to be mostly keto. So it has to be very strategic rather than just like, hey, I should go keto because it's keto. Like, that's dumb. No. Well, what works for you? And here's the other thing. It's going to change. It's going to change often. And if you go through a period of higher carbohydrate where you feel like your body's doing a good job modulating cortisol and stress comes down, switch into keto for a while and your body will adapt to that. So there's a lot of different things that play in and microbiome, environment, light exposure, sleep, like all of these things have to play in. Otherwise, you're guessing, you know, this cop out of, oh, I don't have really good genetics or I don't get really good results. Bullshit. Like everyone can get results. Just know what the hell you're doing yet. And that's what I'm trying to teach within my mentorship is like how to have that critical eye to know, well, you know, someone walks into your world. I have no idea where I should look, but I have the skill set to ask the right questions to tell me where to look. Right. And you're only looking for one lever. Like if you walked into my world and you go, Ben, I want to get, built do a bodybuilding show. I'm like, okay. So I'm going to ask questions around stress. I'm going to ask questions around sleep. I'm going to ask questions around your training, around your current nutrition, around your genetics if I can. And see, what is that one thing that's a massive elephant in the room? And if I change this for Ashley, it's going to be the biggest shift in her body composition. So most people in the world, God, it's definitely my nutrition. No, it's not. Why? Because nobody eats 8 million calories a day when they're not stressed out, right? Like people eat because they're stressed. People eat shitty food because they're stressed. So if we can get rid of your stress in your sleep, my belief and my experience says we get rid of your, your shitty 
sleep and we fix your shitty sleep and we help you with some stress coping strategies, internal strategies like we just talked about. All of a sudden your desire to eat isn't so great. Like you, you actually enjoy eating good quality foods because you're not trying to compensate and cope with like just having shitty shit tons of sugar that make you feel better temporarily. Mm-hmm. That's often my strategy, right? And stress can come from endless number of places, you know, just even your environment, right? Sitting in blue light all the time can crush you. Being, being in front of your computer and TV all the time will crush you. So those things are important. I actually really like that answer. There's a lot there that I did not consider. I thought it was more just like, okay, well, are you a woman or do you have a lot of fat to lose? There's so many other elements that go into. Are you a bro? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am, but I right. still I don't like keto. Okay. Or. You don't listen, like keto? No, I don't like keto. We've had this conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have a lot of reasons why I don't like keto and people ask me about it a lot because I talk about it a lot because everybody else is interested in it. And I'm like, I. Most not. people with more muscle tend to avoid keto because you have so much muscle, which is a metabolic machine. So your body can burn through carbohydrates better. My biggest problem is how much muscle I have. Really. It's just such a burden. (laughs) When in doubt though, to speaking, I still, (laughs) they know that I'm very self-deprecating. I would hope anyway, but I still am a big fan of high quality fat. So like when in doubt, you just kind of douse everything you eat with delicious olive oil, like Ben style. Is that how Ben does it? I don't leave my house without olive oil. It's true. So every meal of my day. I just love that you carry around your own fancy olive oil. It's it's amazing. Um, People expect that of you now. I I literally go home and I'm like, what am I going to eat? Well, the answer is always, what can I put olive oil on? What can't you put olive oil on? Here's that's the real question. I wouldn't put it on my kids' food. Like for breakfast, they're going to have like a gluten-free sandwich with an egg and bacon. Like that might be, I might be pushing it. But for you, you could drizzle a little olive oil on there. Well, yeah, I would do like avocado toast with Mm -hmm. with some poached eggs and then load it in olive oil. Yeah. Yeah, My breakfast every day though is literally the same thing. If I eat breakfast is some type of meat, wild meat, and some type of vegetable. I don't measure follow-up, but if I did, I'd honestly say it's probably in the realm of 60 grams, maybe more. Like I just kind of wet the Liberal whole thing. Liberal dose. Yeah, yeah. And then when my body composition starts to slip a little bit, I'm like, I just literally pull back on the olive oil. <laughs> like I'm better. I get 50% or more of my calories from olive oil and peanut butter. In some really? That's it. If What's I, your peanut butter brand? Just anything natural? Natural, like organic, glass jar. Yeah. Always no plastic. Okay. Is that uh, discount for fresh press still good? I know that it's like very, there's like a limited run, but I think we still have. Well, it depends. How many where, people have been using it? Yes. Yeah. And because they have a limited supply okay. and the website's uh, get fresh 35 yeah. and there's no code, right? No, there's no code. You just get the, your first bottle for a buck. Right? And everyone who's tried it, everyone, I, actually, I'd like to hear if someone didn't think it was the best thing I've had because we just can't be friends. I've had a couple people respond because, you know, I talk about it too. And I've had a couple people tell me like that, so you know, that strong. really spicy, but that yeah, spicy taste, strong. which is the high polyphenol content, yeah. which means it's actually a fresh, yeah. nutritious product. But they're like surprised because they've literally never tasted that right. in olive oil before. I'm like, so you've actually literally never tasted real olive oil that wasn't old and rancid. It's right. Crazy. Or 60% something else, right? right. Which is a right. real right. big issue coming out of Italy. Right. They're cutting it with other shitty oils just to save the cost. And there's another thing that, you know, this TJ brought to my attention. It's not just, is it olive oil, but when was it pressed relative to when it was harvested, right? So sometimes those things are harvested, shipped somewhere, and it could be months before they actually get pressed. So the freshness depends on not only when do you consume it, but when was that olive pressed relative to its life cycle? They're literally picking, pressing there on site. I mean, I had no idea. I think I told you this. I had bottles of fresh pressed olive oil five years ago. And I just thought it was like everything else. I was like, I don't eat olive oil. Like I'm a bodybuilder. I don't need this stuff. 
And then one day, I think it was after I just retired, I just decided I wanted a salad or something. I'm like, let me try some of this olive oil. Or maybe one of my friends had come over or something. And I tried and I was like, what is this? And I had probably 12 bottles because I was a member of this thing for a, a long time. You know, maybe one day I'd watch the food channel or something and I decided to Impulse purchase, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it tends to happen when you're dieting. Yeah, and I had probably 12 bottles of stuff. And I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, yeah. So I tried it and it was just like, what is this? Like, why didn't somebody tell me about this stuff before? So everyone who orders it's gonna gonna thank me from us, yeah. you. It really is a different product. It's like you know the best red wine versus grape juice from the yeah from, from a box. Truly. So we went out for lunch last week with the team here at the gym, and I ordered a glass of wine. Next, one of the gym coaches had just done a bodybuilding contest. He goes, "How oh, can we have a glass of wine?" Of course, man. Let's share a glass of wine. I ordered what I thought would have been a nice bottle or a nice glass of wine and it tastes like it was from a box and i just let it sit there i'm like i can't do this it felt like it hit my heart to have bad red wine mm-hmm. but yeah shout out to fresh pressed olive oil get fresh 35 from also intelligence you guys are gonna love it and if you do let us know and just a reminder as we finish this off here too that if people want to ask questions the best place to do it is on the muscle intelligence instagram the, not the best place that. to send your questions that actually ashley's going to steal all my time and answer the questions I think yeah if you send it to me i might just steal the questions and take so credit. here's one thing we can do actually ashley if we're getting good questions what i'll do is i'll actually respond through instagram with videos so if we get a lot of them and we have also just responding personally to the ones that maybe don't make it to the air because that's a good idea yeah and i'll just make that a thing and maybe i'll post them in the muscle intelligence facebook group so if we compile every week a list of questions the ones that don't make it on the podcast i'll fire them into the muscle intelligence facebook group so if you guys are any aren't already a member of the muscle intelligence facebook group go over and do that now and uh, we'll have uh, lots of group info in there some of my coaches are going to be jumping in there and answer your questions around muscle building and uh, you guys will get all the amazing offers that we offer from the podcast there as well guys before actually steals more of your time (laughs) i'm gonna wrap this episode up have an amazing day guys i truly appreciate you being here we both appreciate you being your time your attention and your votes of confidence and messages are always so massively appreciated if you do love the show we would appreciate a review and obviously subscribe and share with one person you know love have a great day live your greatest life in a body thank you so much for tuning into muscle intelligence If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.